a little bit sleepy this morning. It was a late night sermon preparation. Coincidentally, the Olympics was on as well, but that's just, you know, a bit of Mo Farah. Not worship, just respect. One athlete to another. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Okay, anybody that can fall over and get up and, and win a gold medal has got to be worthy of, of respect. I wonder what makes you feel uh, confident this morning or what things you have confidence in. Would you even say that you are a confident person or maybe you lack confidence? Donald Trump, he seems like an amazingly confident man. Um, um, and he can basically talk about any subject, just like that, off the top of his, uh, of his head. Um, but it seems to me, at least, um, not a great understander of the American political system, that um, his confidence seems to be built pretty much solely on the fact that he has lots of money. Um, and he's built some big, expensive buildings, and he owns some posh golf courses. Um, there doesn't seem to be much more substance than that, in my opinion. So he's confident because he's rich and powerful. I don't know if anyone recognizes this guy. Anybody recognize this guy? Petey. That's right, Adam Petey. Um, he was the guy that started off uh, the Olympics, the first gold medal for, for Britain. He was a pretty confident guy before he went into that final. Um, and that was based on the fact that he'd done seven years of training um, and that he'd broken the world record in the qualifying uh, events. In fact, it was his barber um, a few months before the Olympics that really helped him build his confidence. He said to him, you've got nothing to worry about, mate. It's simple. You're the world champion, aren't you? And he said that really helped him. So his confidence was really based on his proven ability. He knew he was good. He was good. And so he won. But sometimes we can have misplaced confidence in things too, can't we? Um, we know someone um, on Kingston Park, doesn't come to this church, just in case you start guessing, who a few Christmases ago um, thought it would be a good idea to stand on their wheelie bin to put up the Christmas lights. <laughs> now, a full wheelie bin can feel pretty secure, but the key thing is the word wheelie. Um, and so they managed to fall off and knock themselves out. It is very easy to have misplaced confidence in things too. But what about King David? Um, we're going to read Psalm 27 in a minute, one of the greatest kings who ever lived. What was he confident in? We're going to read Psalm 27 together in a minute. And it's important that when we read the Psalms, we try to capture some of the emotion that we find in them. The feelings of the psalmist. Poetry is full of passion and joy and pain. So look out for those different feelings um, as Lucy reads the Psalm to us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war, war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. 
Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Okay, I'm an engineer, some of you know, and I like um, graphs and spreadsheets and charts and things like that. So here are the emotions of Psalm 27 presented in a kind of sort of graph. Um, I wonder where you would put yourself this morning. Um, and these kind of four C's at the bottom, we're going to look at the psalm under those headings. Confidence, commitment, crises and conviction. We'll try and pick out some lessons uh, under those headings. So let's first look at why David was so confident. He's confident because of the following things in verse 1. The Lord is his light. The Lord is his salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of his life. Those three things. Let's just look briefly at the three things here. The idea of God being our light is one we find throughout the Bible. In the New Testament we read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Jesus declared, didn't he, when he was on earth, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's a concept we can easily grasp, I think, isn't it? As soon as we think about entering into a dark room um, and we're stumbling around, then someone puts the light on and we can see clearly we're no longer at risk of injury or scared of the unseen. The Lord is David's light. The idea of God as David's salvation is again a central uh, concept in the Bible. Our God is a rescuing God. Time and again he saves the children of Israel um, from their enemies and Jesus' very mission of course was to come to save a lost world. David knew that God had been his rescuer on so many occasions in his life before. If you remember the famous speech that he gives to Saul before he goes out to face uh, Goliath. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. His boldness of faith in God uh, wasn't just a naive belief. It was rooted in real historical events, just as ours is in Jesus' work on the cross. And then thirdly, um, the idea of a stronghold. It's, like an, it's an Old Testament concept, but it's one that we see illustrated across Northumberland in the landscape around us, castles or fortified houses and towers that were built to protect villagers against the border reavers in days gone by. David knew what it was like to be under attack, definitely, um, from without and from within his own family. Yet he knows God is his stronghold and not any fortified castle. So what are the outward results of David's confidence in God? Verse 2 and 3, he believes his enemies will stumble and fall, not him. His heart won't fear even as an army surround him. And though the worst happens and war breaks out, he'll still be confident. 
There's kind of a build-up of emotion in the psalm at this point. Wicked men won't frighten him. An army won't frighten him. Even war itself won't shake his confidence in the Lord. I guess David could easily have said his confidence was in his huge army um, or the fact that his people were loyal to him or that his mighty men that we read about in Samuel had proved so faithful in the past or even pointed to his own prowess in battle. You remember the people had that chant which annoyed Saul when they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. You know, maybe like Donald Trump, he could have had confidence in his great wealth. But yet he looks beyond all of those things to God for his confidence. David gets that his security is not in his possessions or his power or his people, but it's in his God. To rely on anything else was kind of the equivalent of standing on that wheelie bin. David sees the path ahead clearly because God is his light. He knows that God has saved him in the past and will do so in the future. And that the stronghold of his life is not a city, not a fortified castle, but God himself. And we might kind of sum all that up really in Romans chapter 8 when it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So I wonder what our confidence is in this morning. Is it our job? Is it the paycheck that we get each month? Is it the pension fund we have that guarantees our income? Perhaps it's our position in society or the achievements of our family. Maybe it's the amount of friends we have on Facebook or the number of followers on social media. Are they the things that give you confidence this morning? Or perhaps we're coming from a very different place as we sit here. We are very, very low on confidence. In fact, it's not a word we even feel happy using about ourselves. Let the words of this psalm point the way for us to remind us the Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. It's not about you, your achievements, abilities, or social status. And neither is it about the worst thing that you fear could happen to you. None of those things change God's nature and his hold on your life. So maybe we have to refocus on these truths this morning. Remind ourselves that we can be confident in this. God is our salvation because Jesus paid it all on the cross as we sang just a few minutes ago. It's not about whether we can keep going as a Christian. That's about confidence in ourselves. But it's about having confidence that we're in God's hands. So let the words of John chapter 10 be a blessing to you just now. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What is the stronghold in your life this morning? What is your confidence in? Is it your relationship with God? If you could have just one thing in life, I wonder what it would be. My Alistair, he often talks about how the one thing he'd love would be to own Alton Towers. And uh, what he would do is you'd build a massive house in the grounds of Alton Towers and he'd connect all the bedrooms up with some kind of crazy roller coaster. Now, occasionally I point out some of the flaws in that and how that probably wouldn't be a good idea, but then he just ignores me, uh, like any uh, sensible boy would. And he says, oh, that'd be great, Dad. You know, endless roller coasters, fantastic. And then I point out about the kind of accidents they've had. He says, oh, that'd be great. It would be quieter for me then. So uh, he's, 
He's got all the answers, um, as you might expect. But in verses 4 to 6, we find out about David's one thing. What would that be then, David? He says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. You might expect that a king ruling over a nation surrounded by uh, enemies would seek a strong army. You might seek the one thing would be victory in battle or peace and prosperity across the land. No, David asked that he can dwell in God's presence all the days of his life. His focus is on the temple, God's sacred tent, that place on earth where God met in a special way with the children of Israel. And remember, the temple itself, the physical temple, wouldn't even be built by David. It would be later on by his son Solomon. David's confidence in God was more than just talk, more than just words or head knowledge. It shaped his very desires and his behavior. His longing for God's temple expresses the intensity of his seeking after God. And in the Old Testament, we see godly kings, they rightly um, prize the privilege of being in God's house. And it's worth just kind of pausing for a moment for ourselves and thinking that today we have an even greater place of intimacy with God. The New Testament uh, talks about the veil being torn in two. We sang about it in our, our last song there. And all of us being able to enter God's presence Matthew 18 explains that where two or three are gathered, Jesus is there in the midst. Jesus is here this morning. And then Paul explains that privilege goes even further now for the Christian in 1 Corinthians 3. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and the Holy Spirit dwells in you? I'm sure David would have been stunned. He would have been shocked to think that future followers of God would have that kind of a relationship with the holy God. But here, David's commitment is absolutely clear. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So, what about us? Do we relate to David's commitment? Do we long to spend time in God's presence, whether that's in church with fellow Christians or in private? We read in verse 6 that David loved to sacrifice with shouts of joy and to make music to the Lord. But the time of animal sacrifice is now past. Jesus was the final sacrifice once and for all. So in Hebrews 13, um, we read these fantastic words instead. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly professed his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. While David and the children of Israel demonstrated their obedience and love to God by animal sacrifice and by carefully following all the laws around this, we are called to bring a sacrifice of praise. Through lips which profess Jesus' name and through the simple acts of doing good and sharing 
with others. Each person who loves Jesus and seeks to follow him is part of the true worldwide church. And as we profess Jesus and do good and share with others, we bring a sacrifice of praise with which God is pleased. I'm sure David was a pretty busy guy, what with being a king and all, and one that leads his troops into battle. But his commitment to God was front and central in his life. And you know, one of the most obvious ways that we can show to a watching world around us, our family, our neighbours, our work colleagues, friends, that we truly believe in God is our commitment to our local church. Showing up, helping out, giving money and time, caring and sharing with others. And you know, I think this is especially true for those of us who are parents of younger children. Rest assured, one of the best ways to communicate to our children loud and clear this stuff about Jesus doesn't really matter is by being lukewarm about our commitment to the local church family. Kids get that. They see it. They sense it. David understood well that being in God's presence at the temple was the one thing he had to prioritize. But yet he understands that in God's presence, in his temple, his problems won't simply disappear, as we'll see in a minute, but they will come into perspective. Verse 5 says, In the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. In the day of trouble. You know, sometimes people say, church, Christianity, following Jesus, that's just a kind of crutch for the weak. I'm sure you've heard that expression. But don't we all seek a doctor when we're ill? Don't we seek a judge when we want justice? So once we kind of understand that we're all broken people and we're living in a world which has been spoiled by sin, then the metaphor of a crutch actually makes quite a lot of sense. Verse 6, David longs to be in God's presence and he longs to sing and make music to the Lord. And you know, it really is good to sing and to make music in church like we've done already. Through the centuries of church life, music played a central part in worship. And we're blessed here by our musicians who practice and work hard to lead our praise each week. And it's a blessing to gather on a Sunday and to be joyful in song. Singing truth to God and to each other is helpful, it's beneficial, as we've already done today. And we'll get another chance at the end just to respond in song to this psalm when we close our service. So perhaps it was this total commitment to spending time with God, with honouring the place of the temple in the life of Israel, and with trying to grasp God's beauty, singing songs and making music that led the priest Samuel to say about David, he was a man after God's own heart. How's your commitment to church? It's where God wants you to serve and to bring your sacrifice of praise to do good and to share with others. So we've noted so far David's confidence in God, his desire to be found worshipping God in the temple, enjoying the security of God's love. Now let's look at David's crises. As we come to the next section in the psalm, we hear a definite change in tone, a note of desperation, of insecurity perhaps, Let's read the verses again together. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me. Answer me. 
my heart says of you, I, I will seek your face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You, you've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. It almost sounds in these verses that David's delight has given way to alarm. So what's, what's going on here? Is David being a bit shallow, you know, talking a good game, but then suddenly losing his confidence in God? You know, I don't believe that that is the case. I think what we're seeing here is the reality of David's experience and the reality of his walk through life. And those emotions and thoughts are here for us to learn from. One of the, the dangers of social media is that people use it to project a kind of false image of themselves. It can be like a highlights reel of my great holidays, my talented kids, my funny friends, my entertaining social life. And that can mask to other people looking on. Life has its struggles. No family is perfect. And no relationship is without its problems, no matter how beautiful the photographs are. Imagine, if you will, David had a Facebook page. I couldn't find it when I searched for it. Um, do you think it would just have had the number of Psalm 23 downloads he'd had that day? Or do you think all his tweets would have had hashtag Goliath who at the end of them? Let's give thanks um, for the Bible that is not a highlights reel of people's lives. It has real people in here with their faults and their sinful acts and their failings. And that is what life is actually like. And that is the reality of our lives too, isn't it? We don't know when this psalm was written exactly, but if we consider some of the events of David's life, the rebellion by his son Absalom, the attempt on his life by King Saul, the death of his best friend Jonathan, the consequences, terrible consequences of his adultery with Bathsheba, the disappointment that he would not be the one to build a permanent temple to God. There were some pretty big lows in David's life. And perhaps for some of us here today, you know the pain of children that have rebelled against the Christian upbringing you provided. Maybe you're struggling with the grief of a close friend or family member that's passed away. Maybe you're still dealing with the consequences of sinful acts and you feel ashamed. Perhaps our careers have really just not worked out as we'd hoped. David's words here and his requests of God are real and heartfelt. Hear my voice. Be merciful. Answer me. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn me away. Don't reject me or forsake me. Don't hand me over to my foes. And perhaps they give voice to your feelings this morning too. But when things are turning against God, against David, he hasn't lost his faith far from it. Instead, we find him clinging on to God and pleading for help. Four weeks ago, when we looked at Psalm 23, I don't know if you were here, um, our speaker, James Shepherd, he pointed out, helpfully, that the highs and lows of life are often much more mixed together than we think. It's very rarely 100% blessing and 100% hard times. But certainly, there will be hard times. 
And if we expect things to be different for us as Christians, then we're going to be in for a shock and probably soon enough. We need to have a theology of hard knocks. We need to be prepared for the feelings of doubt and despair that can come upon all of us at certain times. I find it really encouraging that King David, a great king, a man after God's own heart, can speak like this with God in verses 7 to 12. I recognize those emotions of doubt and despair and desperation, of longing to walk in a straight path and follow God's ways and not my own. Maybe you do too. But when things in our life are out of control, that's often when we pray most earnestly, isn't it? It's not that God has changed and become unreliable, but David's emotions and feelings have certainly changed, and so he cries out for God's mercy and help. A couple of months ago, um, I fulfilled uh, a long-held dream. This is the part in the sermon where I have a Scottish mountain story. It happens every time. Apologies. Anyway, um, so you can take that off your bingo list if you're, if you're marking the card for my sermon. Um, I went climbing in the mountains of, of Skye, in Isle of Skye, um, and they're quite famous for having very narrow ridges between the summits. Um, and if you want to go between the tops, then you have to kind of go uh, do a bit of rock climbing and put up with some pretty big drops on both sides of you. That was well outside my comfort zone. You know, I'm just a hill walker. I'm not really a, a rock climber, so I was kind of pretty petrified the last 25 years thinking about it. And uh, anyway, went there with a couple of experienced climbing friends, and we did a lot of climbing. Um, but uh, I was definitely nervous and scared at a number of points. And it was really good to have people who could sort out the ropes and the harnesses and who knew what they were doing. What I didn't try to do in that situation was to look at myself and think, I've been here before because I hadn't. Or I didn't think, I'll be fine on my own because I wouldn't have been. What I did do was look to someone else who had been there before, someone who could keep me safe and someone who did know the best way forward even when it looked like there was no way forward they did make a difference and it gave me the confidence to keep on going nothing had actually changed the cliffs were still there the ridge still needed climbing but I was able to look to others to help me and in David's moment of crisis he does the right thing and he turns to God in verses 9 and 10 he looks to God as his saviour he admits his helplessness it's not that his confidence in God is gone but the joyful tone certainly has. Now he faces oppressors, false witnesses, people breathing violence. But the point is he's still speaking to God, and that is the key thing. Out of a period of searching and doubt, faith grows and leads to a more determined reliance on God. There's a key verse in the book of Hebrews, and it puts it like this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So what does God like best? Those first verses of serene trust when we're making bold claims of devotion and love or the verses of desperation when we're crying out to God? Well, the latter are not less holy than the praise part. God wants a real relationship with his creation, with you and me this morning. Thanksgiving and praise are a defining part of Christian faith, and they should be in our life. But so too is sharing our struggles 
and cries for help with God. Is there a situation that you're struggling with this morning? Maybe nobody else knows it or, or fully understands. What do you need to spend time talking to God about? Can I urge you to call out to him today for his mercy and his goodness and his direction? So how does the psalm conclude in verse 13 and 14? What is the conviction David comes to after this period of struggle? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. We see David coming through his doubts and his despairs as he focuses once more on the confidence he has in God's goodness. He again trusts a God whose goodness is to be experienced here in the land of the living and in the present. He may have to wait for God's timing, but that is enough to give David heart and strength to continue. Sometimes in life, when we are in the midst of tough times, poor health, both physical and mental, disappointments in our jobs, distress in our family, we can start to doubt God's goodness. And part of the reason for that is we become so caught up in our problems that we fail to see God at work anymore. And we stop seeing the good gifts that God is still giving us. We can't see for the wood for the trees, if you like. So what does David write here? What is the key to seeing the goodness of the Lord once more? Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I wonder what you're like at waiting for things. I don't mean just passing time in a queue kind of waiting. We're British, we're all good at that. But waiting because other things have to happen first in the specific order, that kind of waiting. In a world of contactless payment where you just swipe and go, of real-time updates on our smartphone, of guaranteed next-day delivery, same-day delivery if you want, our tap-the-app culture makes the idea of waiting for anything seem like a foreign concept. Remember the days when you wrote a letter, if you did, if you're old enough, bought an actual stamp from the post office, posted it in a post box. Children, you can ask your parents if you're confused. Two days later, someone might deliver it to their house, and then if a reply was needed, gosh, the whole process would start all over again. So maybe in about a week at best, you could pass between sending a letter and receiving a reply. Wow, how did life work in those days? Hundreds of years ago? About 20 years ago, pre-texting and emails, a lot more people kept in touch that way. It's easy to forget how recently the speeding up of communication has been, and yet in our fast-paced world, some things still require the passage of time and the experience of waiting. Strong relationships take patience to develop, and we need to spend time on them to keep them healthy. And that is true with our walk with God. You know, God's timing is not our timing. Abraham was 80 years old when God called him to leave Ur. Simeon was an old man in the temple when he held the baby Jesus in his arms. 
And even Jesus was 30 years old before he started his public teaching ministry. Maybe this morning, God is reminding you to wait for his timing. And so David's words to you are, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. It's not a case of, if you had faith, you wouldn't be going through these hard times. We need to reject that sort of thinking. The health, wealth, prosperity gospel, call it what you like, is totally false. But it's through the hard times of your faith, it's tested and strengthened as you rely on God, as you hang on to God in the middle of them. Or perhaps you need a word of encouragement to focus on this morning as we close. So David's conviction in verse 13 is for you. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Let's pray. Father God, we stand before you as your people this morning and we echo the words of David in this psalm. Lord, we say you're a good God. You're our light. You're our salvation. You're the stronghold of our life. Lord, for any of us that are struggling in the midst of hard times, of low times, of poor health, I just pray that you would come very close to them and give them that sense, Lord, that you are the great shepherd and you have them in your hands. Father, for those of us that are waiting, that are impatient, but want things to change in our life, Lord, we just pray that that message of waiting on you, waiting on your timing, would be an encouragement, Lord. We ask for strength and a good heart to be encouraged as we walk into this week ahead. Lord, help us to bring our sacrifice of praise lips that openly profess Jesus to others, doing good and sharing with others. And Lord, help us be aware of your goodness to us in so many ways in the days ahead. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to finish our service now by singing two songs which declare our confidence in God. And one of them is actually based on this psalm. So let's do what we said in verse 6. We're going to sing and we're going to make music to the Lord.